everything Abraham did, every work he did, it was reckoned or accounted to him as righteousness. And so what that's saying is that he didn't do all those works because he was innately righteous, but because of the faith he expressed, he did righteous things. Does that ring a bell? Maybe like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace we are saved through faith and not of ourselves, not of works. It is a gift of God. That was true in the Old Testament as well. That's why in chapter 4 of Romans, um, Paul is using Abraham as an example of why keeping the law is not going to save anybody. And why does he pick Abraham? Because Abraham was (laughs) pre-law. There was no law for Abraham. (laughs) There was no written Mosaic law at that time. So uh, centuries before that. So anyway, but the point, we want to make now that everybody in there and everybody that will everybody that has been saved or will be saved is saved by the grace of God and the righteousness that they have is the righteousness imputed to them by Christ just like he took our sin on himself and he imputed to us his righteousness we got the better of that deal we got much better of that deal now the title bride we saw this last week is used of both Israel and the church. Okay, that that invert, and now in this passage, it's enlarged to encompass all of the redeemed for all of time. Okay, it's that same analogy: the bride of Christ, the God's bride, the bride of the Lamb. That it's it's just encompassed because it's the same idea. Again, it goes back because salvation is the same. Different time frames, but it. it it comes from the same thing, by the grace of God. I mean, you can go back uh, prior to Abraham. Remember what it said about Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord? That Hebrew word favor could be translated, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Favor as in unmerited favor. It wasn't that Noah was doing such a great job. Huh, let's save him. That wasn't the reason. No, Noah found favor. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and that was extended to his immediate family as well. Now, now the wife of the Lamb, and that's, again, the wife of the Lamb, Jesus referred to, obviously, as the Lamb, uh, but 29 times in the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, the most used title for Christ in the book of Revelation is the Lamb. And again, and what we, we, you would think it might be king or Lord, they're in there, but Lamb is the one most often used of him. And again, why would that be? Because it was his work as the Lamb of God, which makes our salvation even possible. So I mean, it just pointed to him that that he did on the first, let's look at the first usage of Lamb in chapter 5, Revelation 5. Revelation 5, 1 to 14, it's, it's a little bit long, but I think it's worth, uh, worth looking at. And I saw, in the, and this is right here, this is like the very, uh, <clears throat> very early part here, obviously, in Revelation. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside on the back and sealed with the seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? 
and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look in it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seals. Now, with that designation, is there any doubt who they're talking about? Those terms? Those terms are all applied to Christ. The lion of the tribe of, he's, he's from the tribe of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, which is interesting. He's also the offspring of David. Isn't that interesting? That should tell you something right there, too. And verse 6, And I saw between the throne within, with, the, with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, and with the seven spirits of God sent into the earth. And he came and he looked, took out of his right hand of him who sat on the throne. <clears throat> and when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp of golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all of things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing, honor, and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. That's it. What a scene that is. What a scene. Folks, we are, we are going to be part of that scene one day. And it, this may not make sense, but it, my mind went there when I was doing this study. Acts chapter 8, just, just um, the thought of Christ, the Lamb of God. And again, that is all over the Old Testament as well. Acts eight twenty six. Besides, I this is one of those favorite parts again of Scripture. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He's up on there. Who is not some small fry? This guy is like would be like the uh, secretary of the treasury <laughs> for a nation. He's no no little guy. But but the angel Lord spoke to Philip, saying, "Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza." This is a desert road. And he <clears throat> arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. And when Philip had, had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which, which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall, who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. 
And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And I love this response. (laughs) Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture, from this very scripture. That's uh, Isaiah 53, if you haven't picked it up by now. (laughs) Isaiah 53 said, from this scripture, from the beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Again, um, confirming once again that uh, Jesus is the theme. Well, our next little note from from the fall onward, Messiah Jesus as Savior and Lord is the major theme in all of Scripture. That is the major theme from the fall right on through to the very end. Very end. Yes. Well, good news means gospel. So that's Isaiah 53 is the gospel. Gospel. Well, the gospel's in there. Now, where, which, which verse are you reading at? I thought you said 35. Mine doesn't even. Mine's totally different. Yeah, yeah I know. Is that the legacy? Yeah, yeah, it's the legacy. Yeah, it says good news. Okay. I was just wondering if um, it could rightly be said that, well, Jews, if you want it. So read yours, read the whole 30, read all 35, verse 35 to me. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. Hmm. I'll have to look that up and see. Because mine just simply says preached. Which was, in effect, would be the same thing. Preach, proclaim. (coughs) Yeah, that's what I got. Okay. There's one in every crowd. All right, now. <laughs> now, again, back to that second note from the fall. Jesus is the major theme of Scripture. I'm not going to turn back there, but you can just look back in Genesis 3. I mean, the seed of the woman. That's the very first <clears throat> prophecy concerning Messiah. Okay, the seed of the woman. And, you <clears throat> and the next thing you know, you have a type. Uh, in that same, in, in chapter 3, verse 21, where Adam and Eve were clothed in the animal skin, what happened? An animal had to die. You know, they, those animals, they didn't come with zippers, you know. So the skins were put on them. So right there, and then you keep moving. The next chapter, 4, of the Cain and Abel, they knew about sacrifices and how to do it right. Cain got it right, or Cain got it wrong, Abel got it right, right? Abel's, Abel's sacrifice was an animal, Cain's was just some fruit of the ground, you know, and uh, the grammar there uh, <clears throat> kind of hints that it, he wasn't real particular about what fruit either. But anyway, um, moving beyond that, again, Jesus again as the Lamb of God, again, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, we won't turn there, but we all know it, um, that demonstrates the greatest act of humility ever witnessed. Creator God being mocked by the creation and hung on a cross to die. Can you get it? Can you go from any higher to any lower? You know, just from, you know, and he did that for us. And then back to Revelation. 
21 2, or excuse me, no, Revelation 21, we're back, <clears throat> where he says, He carried me away in the Spirit. Be verse 10. First of all, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. That's described, again, this is described, he's in a prophetic trance, and so he's in, a, the setting is he's up on a mountain looking down. It's a matter of perspective. This is not necessarily a, matter of fact, it isn't a real mountain per se, but it's a mountain that he was on to look down is all part of the, the vision that uh, was uh, being given to John. And he showed me, John continues, the holy city, Jerusalem. Again, now this second look is from a very different vantage point, and it was for the purpose of giving uh, John a greater details uh, about this city. And um, in 21.2, the first one he said, And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the first view. Now he's getting another view. It's almost like he sees something coming down. Now he's getting like above it, looking down on this city to get a big panoramic view. In verse 11, about this city, it says, having the glory of God. Well, the glory of God will be on full display in this city. And we're going to see it is something, it's humanly, we're going to get a description, but I'm quite confident the description we get is not going to do what we're going to live in for eternity, justice. It's, It's something else. Now, where it talks about the um, crystal clear jasper in verse 11, uh, the jasper doesn't equate with what we call jasper in our day and age, uh, which is an opaque stone that could be red, yellow, brown, different colors. But this one, the way it's described, is more like a super high-quality, high-polished diamond to the point you you can see through it, but it's still got all its beauty and luster that you can see if you get my point. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and so they've got this high-quality diamond, and, uh, and that's, that's what it's going to shine like. Now, let's move down. We're going to get the actual external view in the next verses from 12 through 21. It had a great high wall. Again, now high walls are common. Well, let me just read a little bit of it first. We'll take it chunk by chunk. And a great high wall with twelve gates, and the and the gates are twelve, and, and at the gates twelve angels, and names were written on them, which are those of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west, <clears throat> and the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Interesting. Now, <clears throat> those 12 walls. Walls were high, very common. Walls, most cities were walled cities because they were fortified for protection. That won't be necessary. Well, why the walls? I think we're going to see the walls for one main reason and one main reason only to just better display the glory of God. When you see the description of these walls, I think we'll, we'll get it then. These walls are going to be nothing more than magnificent. The 12 gates, literally, they could be translated gate towers, where it's kind of like the gate is a whole configuration. It goes, I think, the, probably the length of the wall with towers and stuff. And that's all I know about it is that word. <laughs> there, okay, there's going to be some more in, 
Um, <clears throat> verse 13 says, uh, there are three gates on the east, three on the south, north. There's three gates on all four sides. Spread out. And we're going to see that spread out is some spread when we get there. Now, the angels, no information is given to us as to what function those angels are going to perform, what they're going to do. So I'm not going to guess. You know, a lot of, well, you know, maybe this, maybe they're that. No. You know, tour guides, no. No. They're, they're, angels have a function. They always had a function. And angels, you read through Revelation, they were all part of God's worshiping God. They were servants and messengers of God. They're going to be doing stuff, but I think they're more than just window dressing. They're, they're going to have a purpose. We're all going to have a purpose. All of God's people in the new heaven and earth will have a purpose. We will do things. Okay? I would include the angels in that too. Now, what is very interesting, verse 12, is the name of the 12 tribes. And I think that's, there's a reason for that. For all eternity, a reminder of God's covenant promise with Israel. Which I would <clears throat> remind other persuasions in the field of eschatology. They are not dropped, dumped, or otherwise forgotten. That's going to look at Ezekiel 38. Let's back look at Ezekiel 38. And there's many places we could go, but this is just one of many. <coughs> Ezekiel 38, 26 to 28 says. That didn't sound right. Sorry. Hmm. It's funny, you know, Svelcheck doesn't pick that stuff up. I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. Are you thinking twenty maybe forty eight, uh twenty forty eight, that's the reference in my Bible. You go from twelve, Revelation twelve. Nah, we'll just pass it. We need we can go well matter of fact, we can go back to any of the uh <clears throat> let's go back to Ezekiel for a moment. Yeah. See, see if I can't find that. Oh, I wasn't looking for the names of the gates. I was looking at the covenant promise. Um, I was looking for something totally different. That. Uh, yeah, just that's what it's, that's what it may take. Ah, here we go. It's Ezekiel thirty-seven, twenty-six through twenty-eight. There it is, Ezekiel thirty-seven. I had to go back where I was reading when I found this, so I had to backtrack. All right. <clears throat> now this is now here's um, 
Ezekiel is restating uh, out of the uh, what's called the Davidic covenant. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, and I will be an everlasting, it will, it will be an everlasting covenant. Don't miss that word. Everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. Forever. What does forever mean? All the time. Never ending. <laughs> okay? Forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst for a couple of years? No, forever. And that's even more than a thousand years. Yeah. We've been through the thousand years. Now we're into the new heaven, new earth. And guess what? Israel's still there. <laughs> Israel's still there. They haven't been done away with. They won't be done away with. God's promises are sure. And we all need to be thankful that they are. Because, this, you know, if, if, if he uh, went back on the Abrahamic, Davidic, New Covenant, what's, what's keeping us? <laughs> See what I mean? It's, it's, it's him. It's all of him. And another, uh, another reason I'm confident is like certain, you go back in Scripture like uh, uh, the prophets and Moses and others when, when God says, you know, I think Moses, when he, when, I think he's talking to Moses, says, you know, I'm going to destroy these people and I'll make a new covenant with you. And then Moses, I believe, was something to the effect that, Lord, for your own sake, don't go back. And I think that was like a, almost like a little test for Moses. It shows you what a righteous man he is. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, we move on. You wanted the names of them? I believe that the names, you can find those. We won't turn to Revelation 7, 4 through 8. There's the names of the, uh, of the tribes that I believe will be on there. I think because that's consistent with... Uh, because, uh, you know, like sometimes Joseph was split here. and that, 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 Well, look at Revelation 7. Those 12 tribes listed there, I think, are going to be the names that are on there. If it's a little bit different, I can live with that. <laughs> now, 12 foundation stones, verse 14. The 12 foundation stones, and on them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, again... This commemorates the close relationship and covenant of Christ and his church, of which the apostles were part of its foundation. It makes perfect sense. You know that number 12 pops up. It's one of those biblical numbers that pops up quite often. Um, Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Very... Ephesians 2, 19 19 to 22 says, Now here's Paul writing to the Gentiles. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple into the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Okay, so we are have a unique 
relationship with the Son of God as the church. Um, the apostles of the Lamb, uh, I believe, uh, and again, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of, there's always a debate on this stuff. One thing I guarantee you, Judas Iscariot will not be one of the names <laughs> on one of those foundations. That might, you know, the only question is, well, is it, is it Paul or is it Matthias? I personally believe it's Matthias. Paul is a special individual, no question. But uh, we won't go there, but you read through Acts 1, 13 through 26, and they went through a, a process, quoting Scripture and everything else, that it had to be, he, that Judas had to be replaced, and he had to be replaced by somebody that was an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord and was with them from the beginning, from early on. So that, I think, that cinches it for me. Otherwise, why even replace the man? If, if, if Paul was the replacement, he would have been the replacement. And they, they would have known. Because by the time you get to Acts, the, uh, the apostles are no longer clueless as to what's going on. Okay? They've, got it, they've got it pretty much wired, and it's, they're only going to get better. Okay, and here's, this is an important thing. I says, no, it is significant that the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb are distinct from each other, yet both have a prominent place in the new Jerusalem. And again, that's for eternity. The point being to identify the 12 tribes in Revelation as the church, I know I got it, does not work. I know I got that uh, bolden, but I'm not yelling. <laughs> but it does not work. And there's people that say, oh, well, you know, the, the church took... The, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Two different groups of people brought together. They're, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, you know, but they still do it. Now, the dimensions on the wall, verses 15 through 17. And I'm just going to... Well, let's, let's read that. And one of the and one of and and the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city. I'll tell you, there's nothing cheap in this new city. <laughs> a gold measuring rod. We're not talking about that, you know, that that little wooden yardstick at Home Depot, man. We're talking about a real. This is pretty good stuff here. Um, and so in verse 16, and the city is laid out as a square. And its length is as a great as the width. And it measured the city with the rod. Check this now. 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles in length. That was one heck of a rod, I'll tell you that. Or that thing was moved. (laughs) But uh, 15 miles in length and also in the height Mm -hmm. or equal. It was like a cube. It's a cube. 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles high. That is, that is one humongous city. How many and, United States could you fit in there? Well, from coast to coast, from California to the, from, from the Pacific to the Atlantic is approximately 3,000 miles. So you've got the length of this thing. It stretches halfway across our country, as would the width north and south, I think, would go from the Canadian border down into the Gulf somewhere. <laughs> so, I mean, it, that's a lot. of That's big. And the fact that... Uh, oh, and 
Also, verse 17, and he measured its wall 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic. Now, is that SAE or metric? (laughs) That argument continues to this day. (laughs) Imperial. (laughs) But uh, 72 yards. Now, that... The only thing left that has to be thickness, the thickness, 72 yards, 100 yards is a football field, you know, from end to end, but 72 yards thick, which is actually kind of narrow for something that tall. <laughs> but hey, God built it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hold up. Now, verses 18 to 21, the material of the wall. Um, look at verse 18. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Well, hang on a minute. What do we got here? That almost sounds like a conflict, but the word material, <clears throat> endomesis, literally means something built into. Okay? Something built into. So, something built into the wall was jasper. We read it that way. What's jasper? Well, we already saw that one, the same diamond-like stone mentioned in verse 11. So we've got these pure diamonds, and we're talking now the city was pure gold like clear glass. Now what it seems to indicate, these jaspers were embedded in this 62-yard thick wall that's like gold so purely refined you can see through it. Can you imagine what that might look like? I mean, gold that, now God's in that, and we're going to see next time, but the Shekinah glory of God is in that city. Because there's, no, there's not going to be any sun or moon, or there will be no more night. But can you imagine the glory of God just brightly shining through those walls of gold with those diamonds. I can't even imagine what that might look like. It's going to be magnificent. That I can, cause I, I, that I can guarantee, because God put this thing together. So it's going to be magnificent. And sinless. we're... The radiance will be sinless. It won't be clouded. It won't be... No, it'll be perfectly clear. Yeah. We won't need things like this to see it. I mean, I mean... I mean the material, the city, pure gold. The foundation stones. Each foundation stone was a different stone. One was jasper. There's that big diamond again. Now, can you imagine how big these things are going to be? We're not given a dimension on them, but just to make it look proportionate. Okay, I'll just run through real quick what I found. I said, Sapphire, a brilliant blue. Uh, Chalcedony, a sky blue with colored stripes. Emerald, one of my favorites. Bright green. Sardonyx, red with white stripes. Uh, Sardius, of various shades of red. Now, all these, you know, again, and and some of these are very hard to reconstruct because people are going through ancient records and trying to find this stuff. So I'm just going with the four or five people I had on this one, and this is what I I came up with. Uh, Crystallite, let's be gold or yellow, with a gold or yellowish hue. Barrel, various shades of green, yellow, blue, and even more. And again, just think of this in, in, in their perfect condition, too. Perfect condition. Topaz, yellowish green. Chrysoph- uh, chrysophrase, 
chrysoprase, gold-tinted green, jacinth, blue or even violet, and then amethyst, purple. I mean, that's, that's astounding, the, uh, what this thing is going to look like. And then, you know, I was actually going on in my study. I said, you know, I better stop here because it's a good thing I did because we're right at that point. Now, in 21, I'll just, that first statement, the first clause in 21 is where we're going to quit. And the 12 gates, remember, these are gate um, towers. The 12 gate towers could be translated were 12 pearls. And it says each one of the gates was a single pearl. <laughs> that must be one heck of an oyster. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I mean, man, I didn't yeah, get you. But obviously, this pearl was not produced by an oyster, it was produced by God. And of course, it's a perfect oyster. Perfectly shaped, perfectly formed, perfect color that an oyster is supposed to have. And again, just demonstrating uh, the magnificence of our God. I, that's, it's almost like, you know, what else can you say? You, you just read it and go, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. You can imagine what, I can't imagine. I, I, say, I keep saying that because I can't imagine what that's going to look like. But it's, it's going to be magnificent. And we will be there accessing that place for eternity. That, what a, what a life to look forward to. Next time the, you know, you're, you're working around the house and something breaks. Oh, hey, it's going to get better. <laughs> Just like these bodies, something breaks, it's going to get better. <laughs> Let's, uh, yes. Just an interesting thought about that city. It says it's going to be 1,500 miles tall, too. Yeah. But it's going to be supposedly on the earth? Yeah. Oh, yeah. On the new earth. That's interesting to think about it that way, considering that the space is about 100,000 feet, about 20 miles. Yeah. And we're going to have access to much. It's, it's interesting. Uh, we're going to see, too, when we get... We start going into the next week, streets of gold and stuff like that. And uh, then the closing comments. And that could be it for our study next week, for everything, the whole shooting match. And I haven't decided yet whether we're going to go right into bibliology, the study of the Bible, or do a couple of classes leading up to that. to see if there's any short topics anybody wants to cover, let me know. Now's your shot. Let me know this week or next week. But for now, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for this new heaven and new earth that we have not seen and can hardly imagine. But, Lord, we know that it will indeed live up to your glory and your majesty. And for that, we just really can't wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.